Peter gave us some background last week, for which I'm grateful. However, according to my notes, one thing slipped through. Elisha. Now you hear the name, and if you're used to hearing Hebrew names, and you know that El is God. Elisha. God saves. Elisha. God saves. And we're in the northern kingdom, Israel. And it is slowly sliding downhill away from God. Remember Peter said most of the kings were pretty rubbish. And Elisha and Elijah before him were God's mouthpieces to the kings, to the men of power. So Elisha is influential. He he knows people in high places. He travels a great deal and often relies on hospitality from others. And our Shunammite woman is one of those. She's a wealthy woman. She invites Elisha to eat at her house. This evidently became a habitual practice. He would stop whenever he was going through and have a meal. And wishing to increase her hospitality, she builds Elisha a room. That gives him some more freedom. You have to think here about the sort of social protocols, if you like. Here is a holy man of God. What is holy? Holy is set apart. Elisha is set apart to do God's word. And it is expected that he will not have dealings with women. He has a servant to act as an intermediary. Notice how often Elisha asks his servant to ask the woman. He sends his servant to meet the woman. So having a room of his own gives him some space, some comfort, where he doesn't have to worry about the social mores, about who he can and can't see and speak to. And he's grateful. He wants to offer some recompense. And notice his his offer. He mixes with kings and generals. He can offer influence in high places. And that's what he offers, thinking that's what she would find valuable. And I just love her response. In the NIV, she says, I have a home amongst my people. I have a home amongst my people. My people. Friends. Family. Support. Comfort. And I thought, here's a definition of contentment I haven't come across before. I have a home amongst my people. She knows what the important things in life are. But then the servant points out that she has no children and her husband is old. So Elisha tells her, promises her, that she will have a son. 
think perhaps her response tells us a little bit more about her. Like Abraham's wife, Sarah, she's sceptical. This is just so unlikely. But it is so much what she wants. Otherwise, it wouldn't touch her. Please, no, don't mislead me. Don't raise my hopes. That's something that I cannot have. She's terrified of reviving those hopes. But like Sarah, she falls pregnant. She has a hill. One day, he falls acutely ill and dies in his mother's arms. <coughs> the distraught mother lays him on the prophet's bed. <coughs> Excuse me. Just move away from that and have a cough. <coughs> so, she has given back the gift, back to the bed of the prophet. But also, she has put her son in the place where she finds hope. And she sets off on the donkey as fast as possible to find Elisha. There is the source of hope. And Elisha sees her coming, and as I said, he would send the servant to meet her, not himself. And the servant asks her, what's wrong? Is anything the matter? And she gives him the brush off. I've come to see the organ grinder, not the monkey. She has no time for the servant. She wants to see Elisha. I can remember a few times when Chris has told me, having done visiting with Gary, where they'd see who needed to be visited and divided up between them who would go and visit who. And some people don't want to see the parish assistant. They want to see the rector. Why isn't the vicar visiting me? And she knew what she wanted. She wanted to see Elijah. Not the servant. Elisha immediately realises that something is wrong. He can see that she's distraught. And he's clearly used to God forewarning him of things like this, of giving him that word of knowledge. And he hasn't here. But her desperation is obvious to him. And it's about the gift of the son that she speaks. Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes, she says. And he knows immediately what has happened. Those hopes lie in pieces. She clings to the prophet's feet. How inappropriate, thinks the servant. Let's get this. But Elisha stops him. No. Can't you see she's in deep distress? He sees the person, the servant, sees the protocols, the rules. Elisha gives his servant his staff, his staff of office, if you like, and sends him to run. I love it again in the words in the NIV. Tuck your cloak into your belt and run. I think... For these 
first century Palestinians. This would have been quite a, an ungainly sort of thing. Here's a man you see normally in his long cloak. And he tucks it up, so you can see his bare legs and his sandals, and he runs. This is what the prodigal father did. Tucked up his cloak and ran. He didn't care about what people thought. The servants packed off. Post haste, run. Don't stop to meet it, greet anybody. If anybody greets you, just keep going. Time is of the essence. And so he runs, and he goes, and he goes into the room with the prophet's staff and lays it on the boy. He's done exactly what he was told. No more, no less. He's a man who wants to follow the rules. And nothing happened. He was obviously expecting the boy to revive, but nothing happened. When eventually Elisha arrives, he didn't tuck up his cloak and run. He walked. He goes into the room and shuts the door. And what does he do? He prays. Then, just as he'd seen his master Elijah do, Elisha stretches himself out over the boy. Nothing. He gets up and paces around. What does this remind you of? Do you know somebody who picks up their phone to have a phone call and they're marching up and down? I can remember standing bemused on Clapham Junction Station while, while a, a, a chap marched up and down in front of me with his phone. He could not carry on a conversation without walking. Goodness knows how he managed at home. And I think this is what Elisha was doing. It says he paced up and down. He was talking to God. What is it you want to do here? What is it you want me to do here? And then he lies again over the boy. And the boy revives. And so, once again, Elisha offers the woman the gift of her son. And as I went through this story this week, I had some points came up, some things that I thought, oh gosh, I didn't notice that before, or how does that work? And the first thing I thought about was the, the thing that had piqued my interest. I have a home amongst my people. What is it that makes us content? And at first I thought that the woman's answer was a perfect one. I have a home amongst my people. I have a place to belong. I have people that love me and that I love. What more could I want? But we know from her response to Elisha that she had a deep disappointment. She had no children. Up to that point, we have no idea that this, for her, was a deep disappointment. I think perhaps she'd buried it. She had convinced herself that she had everything she wanted. 
because this thing that she couldn't have, maybe she didn't want. And Elisha was threatening to dig up that disappointment. And she was apprehensive, to say the least. Don't get my hopes up. I'll only get hurt again. What do we do with our greatest hopes, our deepest hopes, when they're not realised? Do we bury them? Or do we let them die completely and do nothing? Or do we keep them alive and live our lives in disappointment? Or maybe we divert our energy into something else. That's one way of coping. My mother, bless her, at 94, almost blind, with a husband who is almost deaf and who can't remember very much for more than two or three minutes, she says, we have to make the best of things. And she does. She does in a situation, I think, how could I cope with that? I don't think I could. And she does. And she makes the best of it. She finds things that she loves to do every day. Even if she can only do them for a few minutes. And she has a life of contentment because that's what she's decided she's going to have. So what makes us content is something we all need to think about. What are the disappointments in our lives? How do we cope with them? Secondly, what is a miracle? The boy was dead, and then he lived. <coughs> I can remember when I was at school, <coughs> when we did religious instruction, the notion with all the miracles was somehow to find a rational scientific explanation for what happened. Somehow the notion of something we can't understand ran against the grain. We've got used to the idea of human beings being able to understand everything. But then I stopped. We can't grasp the notion of infinity. We got the word, and we got some other words that tell us what it means. But it's beyond our experience. We don't really know what makes up subatomic particles. And we certainly can't predict the weather. There's lots of things we don't know. Lots of things we cannot understand. Half the human race doesn't understand how the brains of the other half work. And vice versa. There are lots of things we don't understand. Get used to the idea. There is no mileage from trying to work out a rational explanation for a miracle. It's not one of Bernie's illusions. It's not a trick. God's not a conjurer, a magician. So we can't ask, how did he do that? All we can do is just say, wow. And then, why does a miracle happen? 
Davina touched on this the other week. Elisha doubtless met other childless women. But this was the one who had the gift of a son from God. Are we open to the possibility of a miracle? Mike has a little book called Zen and the Art of Putting. And when I stand over a putt of 25 feet, I don't think, I'm never going to make this. I think, there is a possibility that I will make this. It's pretty unlikely, but there is a possibility. So I take care. I line up. I have a look at the distance. I see what the slope is. I try. And we have to take the same sort of attitude towards the miracle. We have to be open to the possibility. It doesn't happen often. Elisha only prayed and received answer to prayer for one woman's son. A couple of weeks ago we heard, out of all the people at the pool at Siloam, only one was healed by Jesus. The others were not. We have to be open to the possibility But being open to the possibility also opens us to the pain. You cannot bury your disappointment and be open to the possibility of a miracle. If you're open to the possibility, you will feel the pain. But burying the dream damages us too. And lastly, well, no, not quite lastly, penultimately, why couldn't the servant heal the boy? The servant was not a holy man of God. He didn't pray. He didn't ask God what he was doing or what he should do. He just touched a dead boy with a piece of wood. That's what he did, because that's what he'd been told to do. He didn't see God working. He didn't imagine God working. He was looking for a magic trick. We can recall that Jesus said, I do what I see my father doing. And I think maybe that that was Elisha's prayer. What are you doing here, Lord? And what's my part in it? Can I join in? His desire was to please the woman, to offer some recompense for her generous hospitality. And God honoured him in that. But it was God's decision. Elisha just joined in. The servant, on the other hand, didn't. He didn't join in. He didn't see what God was doing. He just touched a dead boy with a piece of wood. And my last thought was, 
Well, what is Elisha praying? And I've already touched on that. I think he was praying, God, what are you doing here? What is it you want me to do here? Is there something I can do? And each time we pray like that, we're looking for God's place and our place in the scene that's playing out in our lives. The servant didn't realise he was about God's work. He was just following the rules. He was doing what Elisha told him. Doing what the social mores, the protocols told him. God wasn't involved in his life. And if God isn't involved in your life, this is not the stuff of miracles. So we pray. We ask God to involve us in what he's doing. And we're open to the possibility of the miracle. We deal with our disappointments, each of us individually. But if we're open to the possibility of the miracle, we also leave ourselves open to the pain that accompanies its absence. And we know that is a possibility too. But we pray. We ask God if we can join in. Amen.